Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host. And I wanted to let you know, since it was the holiday last week, was practicing a little bit of self-care and decided to take a week off. And I'm reposting this old episode, one of my favorites, by Benjamin Hardy. Personality isn't permanent. What I love about this episode is it can remind us all that we can change and we can make a difference in our lives and manifest that change and be who we want to be little bit of work, but very, very doable. So thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoy this recast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. We are on to episode 102. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host, And our guest today is Benjamin Hardy. He is the author of several books. One of them is Willpower Does Not Work. And he is also the author of his upcoming book, which is Personality Isn't Permanent. And so on today's episode, I talk with Benjamin about uh, how we can actively pursue the change process and why it is really important for us to be able to see our former self and our current self and our future self as distinct individuals in a way and how that can help us frame our goals and make meaning out of all of our experiences and facilitate the change process. So Benjamin really goes into a lot of details and gives some practical information that we can do now in the current moment to make some of the changes we want. So I really enjoyed the conversation with Benjamin. He just was so generous in sharing his story and sharing his knowledge and just really enjoyed talking with him. And so I hope you enjoy this episode as well. So before we start the episode, don't forget, rate and review us in iTunes. That really does help get The Addicted Mind a lot of exposure or share the podcast with a friend. I'd really appreciate it. And don't forget, you can also join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in The Addicted Mind Podcast, click join and continue the conversation online. All right, let's start this episode. 
Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Benjamin Hardy, and he is going to talk about his upcoming book, Personality Isn't Permanent. And Benjamin, I'm excited to have you on the show. I really want to talk about, as we were kind of talking about earlier, talking about uh, science-based change. So before we do that, you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your story? Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, I guess the beginning of it really, or at least the major kind of huge event that started my journey was my parents getting divorced at age 11. And I came from a background where my parents, we were kind of a religious family. And when my parents got divorced, that stopped being a big part of our life at all. But my father was so torn up by the addiction and the depression of it all that he ended up becoming an extreme drug addict, actually. Wow. Yeah, no, he was. It was intense, man. I mean, our house became literally a crazy place filled with drug addicts. <laughs> right. There was all, there's anything and everything you could think of out in the open. Really interesting for me to see. Uh, my dad was a hero to me. He was also like a really successful guy and it just kind of really threw him down. You know, he was an attorney and he was, it just really was interesting to watch. And this kind of experience lasted. I was age 11, the oldest of three boys. It lasted until I was around 19 or 20. I have no clue how I graduated from high school. You know, and I was the oldest of three and I was kind of suppressing everything that was going on. And ultimately we shut out my dad and my mom was living apartment to apartment, just trying to, she was actually trying to run a health club with her sister, like a small business. And so she was just kind of go, 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 just had zero stability. And my, my younger brother ended up dropping out of high school. He tried joining the Marines. He ended up actually ended up getting kicked out. I ended up at age 19, I was living at my cousin's house on his couch, playing World of Warcraft all day, doing nothing, and just was incredibly unhappy. Victor Frankl, who wrote the book Man's Search for Meaning, he talks a lot about in that book, and he's referencing the Holocaust, but he talks about how when a person loses hope and purpose for their future, the present becomes meaningless. And that was kind of where I was at. I didn't really have too much hope or purpose for my life. And so my life was very meaningless. <laughs> I was just, my purpose may have been to like get to the next level on World of Warcraft, but right. it was not creating an enormous amount of meaning in my life. And so I ultimately connected back with my faith. I ended up serving a church mission for a few years, totally changed my life, exposed myself to a lot of things, read a lot of books, saw a lot of people, helped a lot of people, did a crazy amount of journaling. I reconnected with my dad. He ended up overcoming a lot of his addictions while I was on that experience. We've since become amazing friends. So you have a lot of this personal experience with addiction and kind of that chaos that comes with all of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My life was chaos for a long time, man. I mean, I was an 11-year-old boy and I had zero stability. You know, there's capital T trauma and there's lower T trauma. You know, and capital T, I guess you could say, would be just like acute events that occur, just intense events that shape your identity. But like lower T from what I understand, is just being in a chaotic environment and just kind of having zero footing, zero stability, zero certainty at all. Right. So it kind of leaves you lost in all of that. And things like World of Warcraft allow you to escape. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of how I view addiction. I learned that from Gabor Mate and Joe Polish really is that addiction really is a solution, right? It's a short-term solution, but it's a solution to handling the pain. And uh, right. it, it actually can be a very good solution in the moment, although there can be repercussions. So I had my own addictions and I've, I've had my own experiences with that in the past. So what I want to ask you about too, because I, I definitely want to get into your, to your books and stuff and some of the things that you talk about 
in making change in your life. But before we do that, how did you start to make this change? Or what was the moment where you said, I got to do something different? I mean, you talked about going on a mission and starting to see different parts of the world and starting to see things differently. But when did it really start to change for you? There were a few things. Like when I was living at my cousin's house, first off, I was completely unhappy with my life, which I think is (laughs) something a lot of people can relate with. As part of the process of going on a mission, you have to, at least in various relations or situations, you often have to go through what they call a repentance process, which is similar to, I think, what like a 12-step process would be, where you have to like openly acknowledge and admit to everything you've done and like forgive people. And so part of my process was forgiving my dad and like redeveloping a relationship with him. I also got into running. So like, even though I was not working and I was playing World of Warcraft all day, I did start exercising a little bit. I started running. And, you know, it started with just like a mile a day. I, and the reason I started, honestly, is because my cousin invited me to go with him. And, I, and we would just run like two or three days a week. And I kind of enjoyed it. And he stopped going with me. And I just kind of decided to keep going. And I, it ended up actually turning into me running a marathon. Oh, but wow. like I was, I, yeah, like when I was 19. But I mean, I, it started small and I would just run two miles a couple times a week. And then I just started running a little bit more and listening to music and getting a little bit more into it. I'd run in the middle of the night. Like, right. I watched the movie on Fight Club on like repeat. Like I'd get, I'd get, I'd get, I'd get home from running and the movie Fight Club would be in the background. I'd be playing World of Warcraft. And the only thing that changed is that I'd go running and I'd just jump straight in my mom's hot tub, you know, in her apartment complex. But while I was running, I think I was not consciously, but kind of subconsciously building confidence. But also I was, I was thinking, you know, I was not distracting myself as much. I was actually like thinking about my life, thinking about my future. Kind of like meditative or something. Yeah, yeah. And I was really thinking about my future a lot. And I was just looking at my life and thinking, you know, I think that that's one of the challenges with addiction or with traumas is that you get so caught up in the past. You're always looking in the rearview mirror. Right. And for me, I was thinking, I really want a different life, you know, and from a motivation standpoint, you really need a goal. You need a like a goal. You need something, yeah. Yeah, Viktor Frankl says that what man needs is not a tensionless state, but the striving and struggling for a worthwhile goal, a freely chosen task. Right. And so like when I think people get confused with purpose, like it's something you have to discover and find, just like you have to discover and find yourself versus choosing a freely chosen task that gives your life meaning and even something worth struggling for. Right. I'm going to say it like it's uh, meaning making. You have to make meaning in your life. You have to create it. It's it's not going to strike you by like a bolt of lightning and all of a sudden you have your purpose. (laughs) Yeah, meaning making is fundamental. I mean, the great part about meaning making is is that that's how you can actually change your past. You can change the meanings that you gave to former experiences or even current episodes. But yeah, like I've changed, fully changed the meaning of my past. You know, like I used to view it as, you know, especially when I was a teenager and going through it. And by the way, it's really important to be really empathetic towards your former self. Right. Rather than being angry at your former self, viewing your... It's really healthy, first off, to view your former self as a different person. They were in a different situation. They had different information, different knowledge, different emotional experiences. And so rather than being angry or upset, it's just you're not that same person and you can have empathy. But also you can look back on former experiences and choose new meanings to give to them. And in fact, that's what we do all the time with memory. Memory is not objective. It's more of a set of meanings that we've given. But you, we as people have the ability to proactively choose the meanings that we give to our former experiences. And so I've chosen to view my past, all of these years that I'm describing as they were incredibly beneficial to my future and that they were amazing. And I'm not just saying that, like I've literally chosen that to be the meaning, but I also think it's true. And we can also, we can all do that for ourselves. Right, right. I have a saying, it's like, we can't heal any of this stuff through 
the lens of shame, you know, and if we're looking back on ourselves and just sitting in in shame, we're kind of stuck. You have to have some self-compassion and that can be hard to manifest when you're kind of staying in that state of um, addiction and yeah, I guess self-loathing. Yeah, I think it's good to appreciate your former self as someone who was doing the best that they could, but it's also crucial to open up you know, I like the Alcoholics Anonymous statement that you're only as sick as your secrets. You know, so like, you know, Viktor Frankl said that emotion, which is suffering, ceases to be suffering when you give it a clear picture. And the the way you give it a clear picture, whatever your trauma is or your pain is, you you turn into a narration, you turn into a story, you turn into words. And that can e- either be through journaling or through openly and honestly talking about it. But once you've gotten it out of your system, meaning you've turned it into a story and something that you're openly telling people about, then it can be something that you can choose a meaning from. And you can also get other people's perspectives so that you can make a more informed meaning. So that's that really reaching out for help, like reaching out for compassionate help from others. Yeah, and I think that that it takes huge courage, but that's a fundamental step to changing. <laughs> Is I mean, you, you won't probably change if you're keeping it secret. Right, right. And I, I guess that's sometimes the battle, right? Because if we have all the shame, the shame about our behavior or shame about some of the choices we've made. It wants us to hide, not be seen because we're, you know, don't show anybody. Yet it's the very thing we have to do to be able to start creating some self-compassion. I hear that's what you're saying. Yeah. And I think that often you can quickly get that, especially when you're doing it in a safe environment where you're opening up. I mean, that's, that's I think, why people like 12-step groups is because they're in a place where they can just openly and honestly express themselves and other people can not judge them, but just encourage them and support them. I mean, as for myself, when I was 19, you know, and I had made an incredible amount of mistakes in my life to that point, I had a former church leader, in this case, come up to me, you know, and he asked me if he could take me out to lunch. And I was, you know, not doing anything with myself. And he took me out to lunch. And he had watched, you know, from a distance to some degree, what had happened to my life and my family. But he took me out to lunch a few times and he just encouraged me. He just said, you know, look, like no matter what's gone on with your life, like you're not, you're a great human being. You still got a future ahead of you, even though it was like small. And like, it really meant a lot coming from him where I was just like. It's like you needed to hear that. You needed to, you need to hear that in that moment. Yeah. Sometimes you need to hear that you're not a piece of crap. You know what I mean? And, you know, because sometimes we can feel that shame where we've just kind of thrown the towel in on our future because of whatever occurred in the past, which doesn't have to be the case. But sometimes it's nice to have someone tell you, look, your future can be whatever you want it to be. And you, you're you a normal person, even though you've made mistakes. And by the way, we've all made mistakes. Right. And there's nothing wrong with it. You can let it go and you can move on and you can still be, become a great life. You can have, you can still have a great life. Right. Yeah, definitely. And, we, and sometimes we need to be able to, to hear that. Because we can't say it to ourselves, you know. So we have to find those compassionate people that can say, hey, come on, you know, move forward. Yeah, there's a quote that I share in the book, but I don't know if you've studied much of Peter Levine. Yes, I love Peter Levine. Yeah, he's cool. So he says that trauma isn't what happens to you. It's what you hold on the inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. Absolutely. You know, I think that having empathetic witnesses around you, but also it takes courage. I mean, if you're someone who's feeling shame or or whatnot from your past, I think writing about it's a crucial thing where you just openly like, you know, write about what you're feeling and why you're feeling that way. But also having the courage to open yourself up and also not forcing someone so fast 
to where you're trying to get them to go. Maybe like premising it where it's like, if you're like two days ago, for example, like my brother right now is in a treatment facility. Uh, We did like a legit intervention six weeks ago and he he agreed to go to treatment. So we brought him here to Florida where I live and he's doing, he's doing excellent. But what I think is amazing, you know, cause he's done some crazy stuff like beyond what I've done, but I have zero judgment towards his former self. And I know that he went through a lot of trauma, but it was amazing. Like we were, we did like a four mile run yesterday or two days ago, I guess. And he was just being a lot more open about some of his trauma and also some of his, his decisions from the past. And it was really powerful for me to watch him just talking about it and for me to listen and just, I've got zero judgment towards his former self. I also recognize one of the, I guess one of the key concepts that is really useful for people to understand. There's a TED talk by a guy named Daniel Gilbert. He's a Harvard psychologist. He gave a TED Talk called The Psychology of Your Future Self. And the major insight from his research, which he's done a lot of, and another research on the subject is, is that your former self, who you were five, 10 years ago, is not who you are today. We often feel like we're the same person, but we're actually not. Like, we, you know, we have new experiences, we have new perspectives, new goals, new, in, in many ways, a new identity. Some aspects of us are still the same, but it's really helpful to view your former self as a different person And it's just as important to view your future self as a different person, that your future self is going to be in a different situation. They're going to have different goals, different, you know, different perspectives. They're going to be in a different place. And the reason why this is helpful is, is that it allows you to not be so fixated on who you are today. Uh, Who you are today is temporary and it shouldn't be so obsessed over. Right. Yeah, definitely. And the reason that's helpful is because when I'm with my brother, you know, he's in a treatment facility. He can also recognize already how much distance he's made in the last six weeks, but he's still not defined by who he is today. There's all sorts of infinite potential for what he can choose to be and do. And he's starting to finally grasp that, that like who he is right now is just a snapshot. It's not something to be defined by. Right. And so he's got the option of a different future. Right. So this is something obviously you started to put into writing. And my question for you also is, how did you start to do that? Like, how did you start to put it into writing and and put it down and discover this? Yeah, for me, it was actually on my mission. So during those two years, I just filled stacks of journals. But I would write about former experiences, my trauma, my mistakes. I'd also just write about what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be. And I started to build the confidence to go there. And I started to have experiences where I could build a little confidence and I had, you know, leaders or friends who would encourage me. But I I was reading a lot of great books and I just started to write about my future self. And I think that that's really the first step. I mean, Daniel Gilbert, he says human beings are works in progress that mistakenly think they're finished. And, And the idea is, is that we get stuck remembering the past rather than imagining the future. And you really need, you need hope. You need a purpose for your future. You need something to aspire towards or else the present loses its meaning. And so I just started writing about my goals, writing about my hopes, my dreams. And I just started writing about them more and more and continuing to learn and to fuel that. And um, something I still do today. And it sounds like at the same time as you're doing this for yourself, you're also doing this for your brother too, being that fair witness, that compassionate witness and helping him focus on his future self. Yeah, I mean, I think that you can get to a point where you just realize there's no reason to judge anyone. <laughs> right. When you realize the impact of trauma and environment and so many other factors. You know, in psychology, there's a concept called the fundamental attribution error, which is basically the idea that the biggest mistake that people make when they're evaluating other people is basing it on their character versus basing it on situational factors. So like if someone's an addict, you know, as an example, it can be easy as an outside person to just say, well, they're that's just who they are. Versus 
taking a scope at the broader context and saying, well, what is the things that have led this to occur? And so, yeah, it's helpful just to say, I don't fully understand what's going on, but I want to be here to support. And I've, you know, there's just no judgment and there's no reason to tear someone down or to be critical or judgmental. I mean, it's all you want to do is just encourage, you know, and just be a support. And so, yeah, I mean, I love being with my brother, love encouraging, love supporting, love listening. And also in one, there's another really big idea and it's measuring the gain, not the gap. So like, actually taking time for yourself and for other people to look back on the gains. Like, holy cow, Trevor, like it's amazing to see how much you've already come in six weeks and like to acknowledge it or even to acknowledge for yourself, look at how much has actually occurred in the last year or two years. You may not be where you want to be yet, but if you actually take the time to look back, you can actually see that you have made progress and that that should be celebrated. Right. So even in just changing some of your own internal dialogue on how you look at your yourself by asking, I guess, some different questions, you can shift your whole being. You totally can. Yeah, I think it's helpful to, I mean, not only ask yourself different questions, but also maybe ask other people different questions. I mean, one of the things is an example that I did with my dad, you know, and I did ask myself a lot of questions, you know, like, you know, ultimately, you can choose, this is what's great about the past, but also the future is you get to choose how you view it. Like, I choose proactively to view my past as that it was exactly what needed to happen for me. It was the best thing that could have happened for me. When you were talking, I was thinking like that this is something that you can actively do. I mean, I think a lot of people feel stuck. It's called meaning making. (laughs) I know, but it's like a lot of people feel stuck. No, that's my past. That's what it was. This This is how it is. And that you can actually choose a more meaningful perspective and put your focus into that. It's big. I mean, that's one of the beauties of of memory is that it's not objective. It's very much, you know, I'll share with you a, a quote from Dr. Brent Slife. He's an amazing psychologist who wrote a book called Time and Psychological Explanation. It's a deep dive into how memory works. But this is what he said. He says, we reinterpret or reconstruct our memory in light of what our mental set is in the present. So and then he says, in this sense, it is more accurate to say that the present causes the meaning of the past than to say that the past causes the meaning of the present. Our memories are not stored in objective entities, but living parts of ourselves in the present. This is the reason our present moods and future goals so affect our memories. And so basically what he's saying is, is rather than the past being the thing that's causing you to be who you are, it's more accurate to say that the present actually causes the meaning of the past. And, and you get to choose what that meaning is. You know, if you get yourself moving forward and if you become more hopeful and if you, you know, let's just say develop healthy relationships, you'll start to choose and have the ability to choose to look at the past from a more positive perspective. And, and we all get to choose those meanings. I mean, we can actively choose meanings even to what, what happened today. Even if something fell apart, you can choose to give it whatever meaning you want. And that's part of becoming emotionally developed as a human being. Right. Yeah. In a way, I can get that concept, right? I can understand that concept. How can I do that in a practical way? Like, what are some of the tools that I can do to help facilitate that kind of thinking change? Let me give an example and then I'll break down the process. So two weeks ago, I gave a talk to a very, like a group of people that I highly respected. And it was a like a mastermind group of sorts that was quite expensive to be a part of. I'm in the middle of getting ready to launch this book. And I felt like this was an amazing opportunity where I could get support from some people who have a lot of resources to help. And I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to share with these people my book concept, but then also to ask them for help. And to be fully honest with you, the whole thing flopped. I did, I, 
even though I had spent a lot of time preparing, I wasn't prepared in the right way. And so I didn't know how to ask them for help ultimately. And it turned awkward and the talk kind of flopped and they were like, well, you need to be really specific in how you want us to help you. It just went wrong. And I was really embarrassed. Uh, and I felt really embarrassed. I felt like I totally failed the talk that I totally misrepresented myself and I lost a great opportunity. And for about two or three days, I was really caught up in it, really frustrated. And when you're having an emotional experience like this, you create meanings and you also create future scenarios for what this means for you because this happened. And so for me, I started to think, well, if this is what happened, I probably shouldn't be in in this group anymore because it's obviously not something that is good for me. I, I can't help this group. They can't help me because none of them are being helpful for this book. And and I was just creating all these meanings and scenarios. And I didn't really like where my thinking was going. I, I didn't like what what it was presenting for my future. You know, for my future, it was I could tell that my thinking was starting to limit my options in the future. And and so I started just journaling about it. I just journaled about like, here's what happened. Here's how I felt about it. Here's what I'm thinking about doing because of it. Then I started opening up and I talked to a few people who are people who I feel really comfortable sharing these types of things with. And I just got different perspectives. And one of the things that, you know, it's really helpful. So in psychology, there's a concept called refractory period. A refractory period is the amount of time it takes to emotionally recover from an event. So like with with emotions, you have an initial reaction. And usually for a lot of people, it stops there. So you have a reaction. For me, it was embarrassment and maybe a little bit of shame or frustration. And then you create meanings. But the secondary response is really what matters. And that's where you choose the frame that you give to the memory. And so it's better to be really active about choosing the frame that ultimately can help you. And that, that requires working through ultimately what you, how you want to see it, how you want to view it, and then ultimately what you want to do with that experience for whatever your future is. And so for me, I ultimately reached out to the guy who ran the group and I was just really honest, um, more honest than I've ever been with him. And it, was, it took courage for me to share this text. I sent him a voice text and I said, hey man, uh, first off, sorry that the talk didn't go very well. <laughs> sorry I kind of wasted your guys' time. And also, because of this experience, which happened a few days ago, I've been pretty introspective and been thinking, even though I've been a member of this group for three years and it's changed my life, it just made me think, I don't know if I'm a good fit for this group anymore because I don't think the people in the group can really help me with this. And this is just where my process is right now. This is what I'm thinking about. But I just want to share that this is what I'm thinking about. And I want your perspective and just want to say, hey, I really respect you. So I just basically said how I was feeling and what I was thinking in my muddled state, got a response back. And he just kind of told me, you know, gave me his perspective that he was surprised that I felt that way, that he didn't think it was as bad as I thought. And also that he thinks that there's many other options that we have. And in getting his response back, I was able to just sit and think about it, not be so quick to reply, but I just thought on it for a while had a conversation with my wife and just, you know, I, I just literally, just literally thinking about it rather than storing it inside and just making a snap decision and then being defined by what happened. I was really trying to work to a solution. And ultimately what happened was this, this is kind of how it landed. I talked to my, my mom, like, and this was back in May, you know, so Mother's Day had happened and my mom told me earlier that week that Mother's Day was the best Mother's Day she ever had. And I thought that was interesting. Like, you know, my brother's in a treatment facility and stuff, but she said I had great conversations with my boys and it was just the best Mother's Day I've ever had. And I said, that's a really cool meaning that you've given to that because it doesn't, it's not objectively the best, but like that's how she chose to view it. Right, right. Yeah. And so I, I, I ultimately decided to interpret that mastermind meeting as the best one I've ever been to. You know, and I just, I just chose that meaning. I said, you know what? 
it didn't go exactly how I planned, but if I if I choose to learn from this, it actually could be the best meeting I've ever had. Even though it may be the most painful, if I choose to learn from this, this could be the best. So I'm just going to actually choose to say this was the best meeting I've ever had. And so I reached back out to my to the guy and I said, "Look, Joe, you know what? Don't worry about it. Like this was actually the best meeting I've ever had, and I'm going to learn a lot from this. Thank you for being compassionate and helpful towards me, and we've got a lot of great things to do in the future. So thank you." And so I chose to frame it that way. Like there was no one who told me to do that, but I actually genuinely believe it. And that's just the, that's the story now that I'm going to tell about that event. And, I, and, it, and what that story now allows me to do is it gives me so many more options for that group and just in general for my future than being defined by my failed speech. Right, definitely. And, and being able to kind of walk through that process. So what I hear you said is like, you gave yourself some time, you wrote down your thoughts you reached out to compassionate witnesses, and then you chose to put the meaning on it that you felt was going to be the best for you and to use that. I also did something courageous, though, which was to be open about my feelings with the person involved, Yes, which was kind of the linchpin. You know, like my, my other friends that I was talking to, they would have supported me whether I stayed in the group or I left. But... I was really open fast, like literally the next day about my feelings to the person who my relationship would be impacted, whether I stayed or went. And I just was really open and honest about how I felt, not condemning him, not condemning the group, but just saying, this is how I'm feeling right now based on what happened. And I'm not really sure what I'm going to do, but now I'm really reflecting on even if I should be in this group anymore, man. And uh, so you took the courage to genuinely share your experience with the the people that needed to hear it and get good feedback from, which is scary sometimes, you know, it takes a lot of courage to do that. I think it takes huge courage to break through our barriers and to choose better meanings. It takes courage to get to the point where you can change the meaning. Yes, yes. Do you find that you have gotten better at this as you've practiced it and you've, you kind of get to a result quicker yes. as you do it? Yeah. I mean, I was able to do that whole thing in two days. And, and I ultimately got to the point where it went from sh- shame and embarrassment to this is the best meeting I've ever gone to and having no negative feelings towards it, being able to talk to you about it and, and also interacting with people who had listened to it and just not being like, oh yeah, I'm the guy who gave a speech, but it's like, yeah, how's it going, man? And like going back to just being in a normal relationship. So yeah, I think, and obviously that was not a big event. That was me failing, you know, like me not giving a talk as much as well as I think I could have been not giving. Obviously, bigger, harder events can sometimes take a little bit longer to do. But yeah, you can get a lot better and faster in um, basketball. I'm a huge basketball fan. But one of the things that Kobe Bryant talked a lot about was that he he had a short memory which is why he was able to be so effective because like if he missed a shot as an example he wasn't going to use that last shot to determine if he was going to take the next shot he just let it go got back on defense and went whereas sometimes other players if they miss that shot then they're all up in their head and you know you want to shorten that refractory period as much as possible and and you do that by getting back to action, right? Whatever that may mean. It, for me, it was having those conversations and, and continue to be proactive towards my future and getting back to hope and getting back to, I've got agency and I've got ability to make choices and I, I've still got a future I'm trying to create versus being so caught up in what happened. And you have to take action to get to that point. Yeah, and I think it's important for people to know that you do get you get better at this. Like this is something you practice 
that you can create. And I know in my own life, in many ways of what you're saying, I recognize and I realize I've gotten better at doing and you can kind of get around around some of those events quicker, if that makes sense, and and use them to better myself, better my life, better the people around me. Yeah, it's beautiful. There's a concept for it in psychology. We call it psychological flexibility. It means that, you know, obviously the opposite would be rigidity, where you're so rigid to your emotions that they petrify you, that they stop you, that they stop you from taking action. Whereas becoming flexible psychologically means that you're you're dealing with your emotions. You're not suppressing them or ignoring them, but you're you're moving forward re- regardless of them. And you're not even, you're not being so snap in your judgment with your meaning. You're not saying this is, uh, okay, this happened. Therefore, the relationship must be over. It's about being flexible to it and, and being fine handling some uncertainty, being open and honest about communicating. But you can become incredibly psychologically flexible. It has a lot to do with confidence. So often you've got to be courageous to build that. But you can become more and more flexible as a person, which expands your comfort zone. It expands what's possible for you. It expands your ability to communicate openly and honestly with the people around you and to be in healthier relationships, which is really required for moving forward, not only as a person, but even in your career. I mean, when you're, you know, as an example, I mean, I was, when I was writing a book recently, it was a separate book than this. I I hit so many walls in the creation process. And for a while I held it in, like I didn't share with the editor that I was stuck and I just thought I could get through it myself. And then I ended up getting really sick because of the stress that I was creating for myself. And I ultimately it started to get to the point where I just, I needed to open up and say I'm stuck. And, and, you know, I, I waited a, like a month longer than I should have, which actually jeopardized the launch. And she was like, Oh, why didn't you tell me sooner? If you, you know, and, and, and then after that, I got to the point where I was just being radically honest every time I hit a wall where I was like, okay, I need help. I'm stuck. And like, then we could get feedback loops faster. We could get to the result faster. We can get moving forward. And I, I stopped having ego about needing to have all the solutions myself. I was like, nope, I need help. And we could get through it fast. And then everyone was positively benefited as a result. And I think what you're saying talks to your new book that you're, you're releasing, which is personality isn't permanent, uh, which is exactly what we're talking about, that you can change. So tell me a little bit about writing this, this book and what you hope this book can do for people. Yeah, the, the story I was just telling was about a separate book, but... I hit walls with with personality as well. Yeah, this book, I think, is a book that needed to be written. It really explains why we often can get stuck. One of the core premises in psychology is is that the best way to predict a person's future is by looking at their past. You know, for my brother, as an example, someone who's been stuck in addiction for 15 years. You know, he's in a treatment facility. He's shown some signs of hope. But I, I could just say you know, Trevor, we already know you're going to lapse back. Like you've got such a history, you know, like, and, and although that may be true in the majority of situations, it doesn't have to be true. And in fact, it shouldn't be true if you're someone who wants to make change in your life. Right, right. Even though your past is what it was, it shouldn't actually be the thing predicting your behavior. In fact, your future self, your desired future self and your desired or chosen purpose, that freely chosen task should be the thing predicting your behavior in the present. And there's a lot of great research on that. First off, there's all sorts of research to show your personality is going to change over time, whether you do anything about it. So the idea that your personality is hardwired is bogus science. But from a decision-making standpoint and from a learning standpoint, if you choose who you want to be in the future, if you clarify that, then you can go through the strategic process of becoming that person. One thing that I think is really important for anyone to know is, is that identity and personality are two different things. 
identity is hugely more important. Um, your identity is your self-concept. It's how you describe and define yourself, usually in the form of stories. You know, so like if you say I'm an addict, just as one example, and I understand like the Alcoholics Anonymous reason for doing that, but that's a statement of identity more than personality. Uh, if you say that I'm an introvert, that's a statement of identity, not personality. And so our, our identity shapes our behavior. And over time, our behavior reflects our personality. Our, our personality is just how we consistently show up. And your most people are very, let's just say, they're strong-fisted. They're really intense with their identity, meaning that they're overly definitive about who they are today. They say, I am X, Y, and Z. Like they're, They speak in such strong terms about who they are today rather than holding their current identity a little bit more loosely, recognizing that who they are right now is pretty temporary. You're not the same as you were in the past, and you're also not going to be the same in the future. And if you get really clear on your future self, which is ultimately a chosen process, you know, you just, you get to choose who you want to be in the circumstances you want to have, then you don't have to be so obsessed with who you are today. Like Carol Dweck, she's the psychologist who came up with the terms fixed mindset and growth mindset. What she found is, is that people with a fixed mindset they're very definitive in who they are today. They think that who they are today is who they're always going to be. And so if they hit a roadblock, they crumble because they say, well, if I hit a roadblock, what that means is that I, I just can't do this. I am who I am right now. Whereas people with a fixed mindset, when they hit a roadblock, they aren't defined by who they are today. Who they are today almost doesn't even matter. What matters is who they want to be. And so they'll figure it out, meaning they'll get the help they need or the support they need, or they can learn maybe through failure, but they'll eventually get there. And so... I think it's crucial to have your identity be based on your goals, on the goals that you genuinely want, rather than based on your former experiences. You know, like who's the person you genuinely want to be? And then obviously the next step would be take, having the courage to admit that and tell people about that. Just like having the courage to say, you know, I need help. The same courage is required to tell people about who you want to be, the changes you want to make in the future you want to have. But if you're really serious about that, that's the future you want to have, you can't hide it forever. So you might as well just take the courageous step to start telling people as soon as possible that this is the changes you want to make in your life. And this is where you want to go. And you know, this is what you genuinely want. It takes courage to do that because it's uncertain. It's in the future. It's a lot easier to just say, yeah, this is who I am. Because then, you know, it's, you don't have to actually do anything about it. And the chances of you succeeding are probably pretty high at you just being who you are today. But if you say, this is where I want to go, there's uncertainty. There's a chance that you could fail. And, and so you need support, but that's where courage comes in. And that's where you start to then get support in your environment that you need. Right. I mean, I think it takes that vulnerability to put that out there because that's part of your true self in a way, if, if that's what it you is. want. And, you know, when we're when we open ourselves up to that, we open ourselves up to rejection, but it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, you need to do that. And honestly, the truth is, is, is that you also, not only do you get open to rejection, but you also become open to the fact that you slightly need to do some rejecting yourself. That if you're serious about your future self, there are certain things that you need to reject about your present that no longer should be in your life because they don't fit the life of your future self. And so you then become honest about, I might be rejected, but also I kind of need to do some rejecting of activities and situations and behaviors in various people, because now I'm, I'm serious that I want to do this. I'm not there yet. I'm not pretending to be there yet, but this is what I'm really seriously wanting. And, uh, you know, if you don't fully agree with it, or if you're not on board, like I completely respect and honor that, but that's where I'm trying to go now. And um, yeah, obviously then you would need to put yourself in the right environments around the right people. You'd probably 
depending on the goal, investing money into whether it be experiences, education, learning, mentoring, you know, but telling the story, telling people about it leads you to believe it more. It also puts it out in the open so you're no longer hiding it. And so that when you, we have a desire as people to be consistent with our behaviors or with our, with our words. And so if you tell everyone, for example, that you want to write a book, just as an example, <laughs> and a year goes by and you haven't done anything and you're still telling people about it, you know, like people might start saying, well, dude, why aren't you writing that book? Or maybe you could proactively put yourself around people who will encourage you to do it against your own weaknesses. And so you'll have a stronger sense to be consistent with your new story, which hopefully is more future-based versus so definitive in who you are today. Yeah, I mean, I think that's awesome. And it, it, it sounds like real practical steps that you can take and not just um, theory, but action. And I, I really love that because sometimes that's what we need to be able to hold on to. It's like, you know, I can understand the concepts, but give me the actions. And it sounds like that's what you're doing in your books. You know, the, hey, this is how you do it. Go, go forth and yeah. <laughs> do that. You got, yeah, you got it, to do it. It'll get better. You could do this. I mean, it's it, it, it's fun to always be in a state of becoming versus being just who you are. I mean, you know, I've achieved so many of my former goals at this point, but like I have a future self that I'm currently striving for. You know, I love the quote from Viktor Frankl again, like, you know, what man needs is not a tensionless state, but a striving and struggling for a worthwhile goal. And so like right now, I have no clue how to achieve the goals that I'm currently trying to achieve, you know, and just to be blunt and open, like I really want to try to sell millions of copies of this book. Like, and I, and the reason for that is because I have a future self that that would unlock a lot of opportunities for my future self to do what I want there. You know, my, I, I don't have the same goals as what I used to have in the past. Not that I've even outgrown them, but sometimes I've recognized that they weren't the right goal to pursue and I can now set better goals. But, but you know, then you can actually go through the process of, of moving forward. And, and once you just, are open and honest about what you're trying to accomplish, you're no longer hiding anything. You're just saying, this is, this is me and this is what I'm going for. And then you can start either getting the help and the support you need, and you can also help and support the people who can get you there. And then your life has direction and intention where if you look at your daily behavior, you can look at it and you can say, you know, at least a third of my day was spent on activities that were moving me in the direction I want to go right. versus looking at your day and saying, I have no clue why I'm even doing any of this stuff. Right. Definitely. Well, Benjamin, I, I want to thank you for coming on and, and sharing your wisdom. If, you know, if people, hopefully people are listening to the podcast, but if they're listening out there and someone's struggling, maybe wanting to move forward, but stuck or feeling stuck, what would you want to tell them? Definitely. I'd want to tell them that, you know, whoever you are, that where you're at right now is just a snapshot in time, you know, and that things can and do and will change. And even your view of what you're going through right now will change. Maybe way harder and more painful than my three days of embarrassment. Maybe closer to my seven or eight years as a teenager in a traumatic state. But you can absolutely get to the point where you view this experience, whatever you're going through right now, as, you know, and this may sound extremely crazy, you may, there is potential for you to look back on what you're going through right now and be grateful for it. And the sooner you choose to move in that direction and get back with hope, and start to get the help you need and be open and honest and vulnerable and courageous that this is what you're going through. Uh, you will start to find the right help and the right people to help you move in the direction you genuinely want to go. And you'll be able to choose to view this experience, the one you're going through right now, or whatever experience you're having as that this was something that happened for you, not something that happened to you. And also that you're not that same person anymore. 
and that you have more options in the future and you can create a future self. Whatever you would genuinely want for yourself, even if right now in your current state, it just doesn't seem believable. I am here to tell you it's possible. You know, you may need various help and you're going to have to learn things that you may not know, but in your future, you're going to see things very differently. And so the sooner you can start getting help and the sooner you can start just being open and honest about what you're going through and the sooner you can start to really think about what you would genuinely love for yourself the sooner you can get your life to a place where you're moving in the direction you want to go and you're becoming increasingly grateful for everything that happened before. Uh, And also you're becoming increasingly empathetic towards those who may have hurt you or those who have done you wrong. You can start to give them the benefit of the doubt too, that maybe there's more to their situation that you just don't understand and that maybe you can let, let it go. And also that they deserve to be forgiven and hopefully their future self can be better than what they've gone through as well. But things can change. And uh, it's kind of up to you and it will take courage. Thank you so much for saying that. I'm so much on the same page as you. How can people find more information about you if they want to get a hold of you or they want to help you get to your goal and and, uh, purchase this book? That's amazing. Well, first off, just thank you for being here. My website is benjaminhardy.com. Got lots of blog posts there. There's free online courses. But uh, yeah, I would just recommend you check out Personality is Impermanent. This book's got about 150 journal prompts to help you reframe and get better and better at framing and choosing better meanings for especially traumatic experiences of your past. But also I break down all the science and provide lots of prompts and things like that to help you really clarify who your future self is. And then most of the book is just literal strategy for how to become the person you want to be. And you can do that. You can be flexible. You can you can learn flexibility and confidence and you can learn to develop even an identity. But you can you can learn to become someone who can handle stuff that you can't currently handle. <laughs> and this book teaches you how to do that. Yeah, practical, real steps that you can take. Uh, I love that. All right, Benjamin, thank you so much for coming on to the Addicted Mind podcast. I just truly appreciate your wisdom and your willingness to share it. Dude, my pleasure. I mean, I love this audience. You know, addiction's a huge part of my life and always will be. And so really grateful to be with you and love everyone who's listening to this podcast. Really do love, love you. And it's exciting, the path that you're on, whoever's listening to this. And the fact that you're listening to this, to me, tells me a lot if you're hearing this. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? Like if someone's listening to this, they're already on a brilliant path. I mean, your input shapes your outlook. So whoever's listening to this, I'm already completely confident that your future is bigger than your Awesomely and well said. Thanks so much. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. All the show notes will be at the addictedmind.com 102. And uh, once again, if you're enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, rate and review us on iTunes or share the podcast with a friend. I'd really appreciate it. And in fact, we're over 200 reviews and um, I just really appreciate all the positive feedback that everyone has given and how this podcast has been helpful to a lot of people out there. I just really appreciate it and I appreciate hearing that. It makes it all worth it. So I hope that you have a wonderful day and I will talk to you on the next episode.
I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how-tos for navigating all the things sober, from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories, and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.